You have tuned into the Voice of Medicine, the medical podcast filled with remarkable stories, first-hand experience, important research, and valuable life lessons. Open your mind, relax, and enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Voice of Medicine. Today we have a fascinating guest from Denmark. Fatima Al-Zahra Al-Atrakchi is a researcher and entrepreneur in micro and nanosensing. She founded a company called Pre-Diagnose. We will discuss her research, how she was able, how to find, how to detect bacteria with sensors, being more sensitive than the current state of art procedures are. We will discuss how she found her way to this um, type of research and to this field of science. We will also discuss how she managed to implement the research, thus closing the gap between theory and practice. Thank you, Michael. Fatima, before we get really deep, um, you know, into the topics um, of your research, of your company, um, how you got there, um, I want to I wanna ask you a question. You are from Denmark. You studied there. That's where you founded your company. Um, would you say that Denmark offers a lot of possibilities for people who are passionate about science to um, you know, foster that interest? So is there enough going on for um, future scientists in Denmark? Definitely. I mean, the environment here is really encouraging both science and entrepreneurship um, and the the opportunities, especially not just in Denmark, but also in Europe for, for startups, but especially in Denmark, because it's so encouraged by the government and it's encouraged by the universities. It's uh, it's it's really a perfect environment to start something up, especially something high tech. And the, the universities have a have, have a lot of uh, of programs for 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 young researchers and for startups. So they really try to encourage um, this new thinking and creativity. And uh, I think it's actually paying off now. You know, speaking about passion, um, I, I always wonder how does one get into the field where he's right now, Ed. Um, Usually, you know, people think that it's some kind of innate interest, but um, I would say that it's rather the fact that you're being exposed to certain things and then you realize, wow, okay, this this is, uh, you know, fascinating and I want to find out more. And so my following question would be, how did you get into um, biology, uh, biotechnology, you know, all the stuff that you're right now and what was basically the path? The path actually started back when I was um, very young, in, in early school. I read a lot of books. I read a lot of um, everything, everything I could get my hands on uh, within science and also within science fiction and everything that is just not um, traditional. And uh, I, I read about nanotechnology and I was sold immediately. I wanted to, to, to study more uh, within physics and within bio nanotechnology. Um, and that's what I did later on. Even though my, my grades could get me uh, into other educations that, that uh, require 
even higher uh, grades, but I, I chose this and that's wh where I ended. But you're right, it's uh, in the end, it's about what you're exposed to. So it, it was because I was exposed to uh, a lot of discussions with, with the people about what is out there in science, because it was especially this with the, with the bacterial communication, it's pretty new. So it's, it was because I was reading, it was because I was talking to people that I learned that there is something cutting edge out there that, that really caught my interest. I'm super happy that you mentioned this because uh, when I talk to people, you know, a lot of times there is this misconception. Um, pe people ask themselves, what am I interested in? And they sort of kind of look uh, for the answer within them. But the answer is usually outside. So you don't know what you like or what is really uh, what can be your passion until you get exposed to, you know, a, a large amount of things. And that's why it's exactly as you said. It's very important for people to read, to 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 talk to people, to and the funny thing is sometimes there is stuff that you don't know about that, that does exist, but it does, <laughs> and might be your might be your career path later on. Exactly, yeah. And when I had, even though I was so certain about, I wanted to to read phys something within physics and nanotechnology and atomic physics back then. Then I, when I was about to choose my study, when I finished high school, I said to myself, okay, maybe I'm so fixed on this, but I'm going to read everything that is out there. Every, what, what, what kind of educations are out there? And I read all kind of stuff. And still, I was convinced that this passion I had, it was still the right one. And then I chose it. So it's, it's true. You cannot just search within you because what do you have within you with, with without inputs from, from the outside? then perhaps you have nothing. I absolutely agree. Another thing which uh, probably you can explain to me is, so you chose a field. Okay, that's step number one. But then mm -hmm. from all the living organisms that you could study, um, you know, doesn't matter how small, you decided to look into bacteria. Why bacteria? Why is bacteria so fascinating? It was exactly because I, I learned that they talk together. I thought it was crazy that they had the social community and they, they were social organisms. It was it was completely fascinating. And that's why I, I, I decided to look more into it. It sounds crazy, you know, for, for a lay person just like me to hear that bacteria um, are talking to each other, have uh, um, social structure. It's, uh, I think for, for anybody out there, um, these kind of things are only associated with human beings and maybe, you know, animal kingdom, um, you know, the, the primates, um, mammals, stuff like that. But then to hear that bacteria are sort of communicating, um, perhaps even organizing themselves and so on, it's, it's, it's you know, it's, Sounds like science fiction indeed. Yes, and it's it's so complex and they have so complex social structures. Um, and it, it just, when, when I heard about it and when, when I re read more about it, it just, uh, I immediately thought it was completely like humans. I mean, a, a lot of structures, a lot of their of their conflicts they're solving or their, the, the way that they act, it's it's a lot like humans. And I, I really like this connection because in, in, uh, in uh, uh, just beside my work, I write books and I have written about, um, and I've written about students that act like 
countries. So this parallel thing between small groups and larger groups, uh, it, it was also there in science between bacteria and human beings. Now I would like to really focus on on your work. So we already established for our audience that uh, bacteria talk to each other. How do they do that? And why do they communicate in the first place? Why? It's because they, they have the genetics to do it. Uh, but um, how they do it is by, by excreting some molecules, chemical molecules that other bacteria can sense. And by this, they can establish a connection. So they read, if, if you think about it like words, they, they shout a word out there. It's, of course, a chemical. And then another um, bacteria re receives it and translates it to a specific action, for example. And then they can respond to that. Do all bacteria speak the same language? So do all emit the same, uh, same molecules? No. So they have they ha sometimes they have their specific language within the the bacterial families. Uh, sometimes they have uh, common uh, chemicals that they all understand. They can have secret languages from each other. So it, it it's like I, I would speak uh, Danish and you speak English, and then we wouldn't. If if I didn't know your language, I wouldn't understand what you were saying. So they, they have these structures. It's really interesting. Now, what happens when two bacteria meet each other and they do not speak the same language? It, uh, first of all, if we, we're talking about cell level. Uh, so it's not like one single bacteria because usually we, when, when I look at it, at least it's colonies or it's, it's, uh, it's cultures. So it's, um, you have to have more than one. So let's call them bacteria nations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. We have to have more than one because you need their interactions. Um, and um, I, I, I don't, it, it really depends on the circumstances. It depends on the environment they're in. But um, it, you sometimes they collaborate. So they help each other to to uh, to coexist, and actually, for the human body, it's really good that there is diversity of bacteria. Um, but if they are, if they if they don't talk each other's language, it's not necessarily. It it, it really it really depends on the context. So um, could, for example, one of the topics that uh, bacteria colonies um, talk to each other about is. Um, um, I don't know, dividing their, uh, their um, you know, life environment. So, for example, uh, one colony says, guys, we are staying over here and you are staying over there. And until you're not crossing our borders, everything is fine. Sometimes it's, it's really interesting because sometimes bacteria within the same family, they say, okay, so now we're a group here. Some of us will settle. We will build something like a really strong castle. It's called a biofilm. And they 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 uh, sit together, protect themselves with all kind of of chemicals that will that will um, work as a shield or like a um, a wall against, for example, antibiotics that comes from the outside or attacks from the outside the immune system. Um, and then they settle there and clump together and uh, aggregate. Um, and then some of these bacteria, some part, other part of the family, they float around in the human body or what, wherever they are just to find other places to colonize and settle. And that's really interesting because 
somehow this is a good strategy for survival. If they just settle one place and don't go out and and try to explore and uh, find better places to colonize, it, then they just then, then they don't really grow more. And for them, it's about survival and growth. You know, to me, it very much sounds more like military tactics, <laughs> which is even more frightening than, uh, you know, that bacteria do this. Yes, and that's also why I use this reference in my TED Talk. Do you think, you know, speaking as a layperson, do you think that perhaps because even, you know, let's say the very small organisms such as bacteria act like this could be perhaps an explanation why down the line we act like this? Because we behave very much the same, it seems to me. I would love to study the philosophy of this because it's, I mean, there, there, are, there are things we could definitely learn from bacteria about how, how we should treat each other. Um, diversity is, is one of them. Diversity is really good, and and they they bacteria are also good at collaborating. They are good at at working together for the better good uh, of the community. Um, sometimes it, they can have some bacterial strains, and it's typically the the pathogenic strains, the the disease ca- causing strains that um, that uh, suddenly try to dominate everything um, and outcompete the others and this is also what what happens with us poor human beings (laughs) definitely so somebody uh wakes up one morning and says well i'm going to be a boss here (laughs) and so it happens with bacteria as well okay if only it was as simple as being a boss because we all need bosses sometimes but it's 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 more it's more about especially the pathogenic bacteria they can really um for they can really start creating a war against the other uh, uh, type of bacteria around them just to kill them and so they can dominate and 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 be the the real rulers wherever they are especially in the human body so the real struggle for for uh, survival on on a um, you know cellular level okay the other thing which which um, I really enjoyed about your work is it did not stay on paper. So what a lot of times happens, um, at least from from my perspective, is um, there is great research out there. Uh, people find things uh, mm-hmm. which are rule-breaking, groundbreaking, but uh, they never really get implemented. Mm-hmm. And you actually managed to implement it. And I would love you to tell us, perhaps also for you know um, other researchers out there, for, for students, um, sort of as a beacon of hope that any research can really be uh, um, implemented if mm-hmm. certain steps maybe are, are followed. So my question to you, how did you get from paper, from you know the lab, um, onto finding your company and actually doing something? So the, there are several parts of this. First of all, when, when, when I studied, I was really determined that this should never stay just as some text out in cyberspace. It should go out there and help because otherwise all all the research I've done, it's it's wasted unless someone someone other picks it up uh, and try to implement it at hospitals. And if what what if no one does that? So so I was really determined that this is not something that should just stay in the lab. And that's also why I, I tried to, to make, or I did a clinical trial throughout my studies um, to try to test this, um, this invention or the sensor I developed on, on real patients. 
and that worked out and it didn't even only work out we we found out that that uh, uh, we had discoveries that we would never have discovered if we didn't have something as sensitive as my sensor so this was part of it another part was that i thought okay so now this is this is uh, a lot of knowledge i have gained a lot of know-how it's not necessarily only the sensor or the method i developed throughout my studies but it's also the know-how i have to develop much more than i have done so far so what do i what what do i do with that and that's why i decided to 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 create a company where i can translate all of this into real action uh, that can benefit human beings i think at this point it would be very good to um to maybe a little bit explain um you know perhaps with an example how it really works so you know how how uh, do you implement um the the research that you've done so somebody comes to you i don't know maybe a um, a hospital or practice or even a patient and um, they ask you for help in detecting um, bacteria early um, how can we imagine that so usually uh, um, doctors suspect a certain kind of, of infections in human beings and uh, or in the in their patients and uh, these infections are typically um, Uh, treated sometimes without even knowing what bacteria it is because it's also expensive to 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 diagnose so usually they just give um an antibiotic that should work and if it doesn't then they change the the antibiotic and sometimes they send out send samples out for for diagnosis and then they realize ah okay we have been treating with something that isn't as specific as it should have so So knowing what or identifying the bacteria uh, that is causing a specific disease or a specific specific symptoms is really important and that's what I, what I can do with my technology. I have developed a technology that can identify the bacteria that that is in that uh, is in question uh, and uh, based on that the the doctors can treat very specifically. And what I, what we found out is So, 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 what the sensors they can detect very fast. It's within seconds to minutes that we can get an answer. While today it can take up to several days to 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 get a diagnosis. That's one thing. Another thing is the methods today aren't sensitive enough to catch the very early infections or infections that are hidden in the body. And uh, and this is something we can do with the sensors because. Uh, in pre-diagnosis, we have developed something that is so sensitive that it can capture even very early infections. Basically, what you uh, what you did is you you shortened the time that is needed for the diagnosis, and second, you came up with a um, you know mm-hmm. very how should I say precise and sensitive method how to um, catch early stages of any kind of infection um exactly and when i say when i say infection it's 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 kind of a, of a, a general term uh, it's in in uh, in medicine or in microbiology we also call mm-hmm. it colonization because it didn't really cause any symptoms yet so it, it is there in the body it, it's not hurtful yet but it it will potentially be so so we we can catch the, infe- the 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 bacteria so early even before we can see symptoms and because i what i what i detect is uh, virulent activity then we can also say something about is, 
are these bacteria going to do something harmful or not? You can specify what kind of troops have landed, where and uh, if they will do something in the future. Oh, that's mm. amazing. Yes, that's a nice way to put it. Let me ask you a different question. Um, so I am pretty sure that, you know, during during the um, development of this, um, you probably worked with physicians a lot. And, uh, you know, they must have been they must have been working with the you know, old school methods, so probably growing a culture of bacteria and then seeing if there is something or not. So how was it to work with them, um, introducing them into um, basically to this new um, development and the possibilities? What were their reactions? The doctors I have been working with have been very open-minded. So they they were really interesting interested in the 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 newest research and then the newest ways possible to help their patients and what I sensed was a real interest in in helping their patients and I'm really grateful I've I've been able to work with such people um doctors actually in in many different hospitals in Denmark are are just interested in the very best for the treatment of their patients so so even though they are used to to traditional methods they are also open to see what what is out there that we can either replace or 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 supplement the existing methods with and that's where my my methods came into uh, interest for them because it it can actually be an assisting tool to cut to to uh, as a complementary to to their to their diagnosis system. You know, it's very important um, to keep a growth mindset, especially in 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 um, healthcare, um, which which needs to develop continuously. You know, to make uh, things work better, uh, perhaps even being more more um, affordable and efficient. Exactly, and it's not only that; it's also that that they they know somewhere that if they if they do this and it works, because most sometimes we do, we do clinical trials and it doesn't work, and then they we change something and it, it works perfectly. So when when they are in this process, they are. If uh, um, they are uh, leaders within this field, then then other hospitals in the world will look at them and see how their practice is going, and and that is really important also for doctors. So I'm I've been I'm I'm really grateful. I've been working with with the, with with open-minded doctors here. I'm, I'm also very grateful that you had uh, you know people around you who who were not putting up barriers, but instead of you know inviting you and and letting you. To take them on this on this journey, and I am pretty sure that beside the amazing people that you had around, you also maybe have faced challenges. Um, what would you say on on the path from first, you know, finding out about um, bacteria potentially communicating with each other, up until now, you know, where you are right now with your company? Um, what was the biggest challenge that you had to face, and how did you? How did you um, work around it? There, there are many challenges, both technical challenges and also cultural challenges, as you say. So sometimes it, it, you need you need yourself to be able to speak different languages because um, I am my, by training I'm a physicist, I'm an engineer, um, and it, to to suddenly go into deep into microbiology and deep into uh, medicine it's really um, it, it was a challenge because that that's not my background so i had to be able to talk different languages to doctors 
um, and to microbiologists and to to physicists. So it's 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 um, it, it was a challenge, and, and the way you act around doctors and around nurses is also different than how how you how you interact with the with the colleagues in research. So this is something that I had to learn um, throughout the way, and I think uh, I've, I've learned a lot. It, it has been a really interesting experience. Um, but the technical challenges—that's what—that's uh, that's that's the part no one really knows about. That's where you're in the lab and really, really have your head against the wall, and you don't know what to do sometimes. And that's also a challenge when things don't work out. And people usually don't talk about that part because it's easily forgotten when you have success. Plus, uh, you know, we, we like to um, we like to look at the the successful story and and uh, sort of wonder and you know be uh, be amazed. Yeah, exactly. We love to be amazed of ah, you know, it's amazing what she has done. But you're right. We do not see the hours that you were you know hitting your uh, head against the wall, uh, yeah. probably probably cursing uh, uh, you know the, the whole the whole idea and and saying uh, you know just, just yeah. <laughs> and I'm up, I'm very grateful that you said that. Uh, you know, to say it in the metaphor, um, if you want to, uh, you know, live with the wolves, you have to howl like a wolf. Um, could you give us an example? What exactly did you have to change about your behavior or communication so you were, let's say, more accepted or a part of the of the medical environment so people would be more open to you and your ideas what i what i observed so i'm 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 an observer so what what i did in the beginning was really just observing how 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 the environment is i went sometimes without even doing any work or doing very light work and just see how how doctors operate how nurses operate and i quickly learned that and maybe it's obvious for medical people but for me it was new that nurses really run a lot of the show and they are they they work they work a lot and they are really busy and I'm not in it's not the research that is important here what is important uh, is the is the patient and how they can they can get through the day with their busy schedules so so for me it was really about being as invisible as possible not to get in the way and really respect how the, the machinery in there, how how they even though they have problems, even though they have personal problems, and because I was backstage, I was, I could see everything. And when they got into the patients, uh, into the room with with the patients, then they smiled, then they were professional. It, it was it was amazing to experience. So what I learned from that is that I I you need to be humble and you really need to respect that. What is in centrum here is not you and your work. It's really them and the patients. Wow, I think this is one of the greatest advice that I ever had on my show. Um, so do not come there and act like, uh, you know, you're the big scientist running this place. <laughs> that is going to so to solve all kind of problems. And, you know, I, I have I have seen examples of that and never ended well. Exactly. OK, no, it's it's you know, it's a beautiful advice. And I think you said something very important, um, which is which is, I think, essential for any kind of scientist or anybody who really wants to. Uh, wants to start um, with the you know the, the off with the right foot. 
first you have to observe, you know, you have to come and be just quietly look at the stuff, understand what's going on, especially in the social realm, as you mm -hmm. said, and then you can, you can start acting. Yes. But it, but it really requires the understanding. Fatima, you're quite young for the fact what you have already accomplished and how you come so far. Um, did you ever imagine that, you know, you are going to be where you're right now? <clears throat> I have always been ambitious, so I'm not going to lie, but it's, it's not, uh, I mean, you can never predict how things will go. It's, uh, I, I could have been working in the lab, uh, and, and making things work out and it would work fine. But, but how would I know that in the end, when I tested on the patients that I would discover that so many patients had, uh, had the bacteria no one knew about. So th there are things you cannot foresee, uh, but I have always been hardworking and I always wanted to do something with all of my knowledge. So, so it would have been tragic if, I, if I, I didn't try to get it out there. So in terms of, of, of doing something that is meaningful for, my, for, for me and for, for what I think is mean, meaningful, Uh, for what I can contribute with to, to the society is is yeah something I have always wanted to do. I was also wondering about your um, about the thought process um, of your work. So what happens to a lot of researchers or scientists in general is they submerge in their field so much that um, they are on a complete different level of understanding of their field. You know, it's, it's uh, something what looks to a layperson, um, you know, rather maybe simple. Once you get really deep, it, it, you start to see the intricate details of certain things. And then, you know, during this, during this submerging, um, perhaps out of nowhere, a creative thought comes to you, or maybe you are, you are being, uh, Um, again, mm -hmm. as we already talked, exposed to something and that gives you the, the initial kickstart to actually come up with the idea that you build on. And how was it for you? So, you know, you, you probably, you, you looked into the field, you know, you were reading books, studying, but there is always this one moment which basically is the game changer. Did you have that? I, I did several times and I still have these uh, moments, especially uh, in, uh, in, in during my work in pre-diagnose. I had, I had a game changer where I, I invented a method that can detect all sort of bacteria in, in all sort of, of, uh, of body fluids. And that, that's for me, it's a game changer, but it's also something that means that I can expand the work Uh, a lot more than I ever imagined. So, so I've had a lot of these moments, and sometimes you cannot even follow up on all of the ideas you have. So you also have to pick which ones you want to proceed with, and that's that's even a bigger challenge, at least for me. Um, I would suggest you to get a notebook and write those things down. I do, I do all the time. <laughs> write them down and you know implement them. <laughs> We will all be grateful to you for doing that. <laughs> I actually have a pen and uh, and a paper next to me when I sleep because sometimes it just comes and I really need to get it down before I forget. It's funny that you're saying it. Um, um, it seems to be a common thing for a lot of people who are, you know, who have this inventive minds. I, I've read about some 
some uh, um, scientists, but also some CEOs from from companies who really do that. They have a, a, um, a notepad and a, and a pen next to their um, or on on their night tables. So it's fascinating mm-hmm. that you said that too. Um, Fatima, I want to ask you sort of a personal question. You don't need to answer that if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. So um, in one of my talks, I talked to Professor Selva Alhaza from Saudi Arabia, from the uh, um, King Faisal Hospital. She's a professor of ophthalmology. And our talk was um, embedded in her history and the history um, of her family. And bottom line was, it was not easy for her um, as a you know girl um, and then later on as a woman um, with, with her uh, background to kind of convince um, her environment, but also, um, you know, the um, sort of certain parts of her family that education is very important and that it leads to a better future also for a woman. Mm-hmm. Now, did you experience um, anything like that too? Or do you perhaps know from some of your friends that have to face that? And what would be your advice for anybody who might, you know, get um, second guest on a scientific, scientific career? Okay, I never had that. It's actually my parents and my family that have always encouraged me to to study. And beautiful. Then I'm very happy for you. It's like it's non-negotiable that I should have a university study, and my 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 siblings as well. So it's it's kind of the the. I mean, it's it's a path that we should take. Having an education, to yeah, you know, just to to have a, a real life where you can um, think on your own and be independent. That's really important. So I I have never had that. Um, but uh, I mean, <clears throat> the I don't know if you can give uh, an advice uh, because it's usually the parents you need to advise. Um, what what is important in life is to be independent. You shouldn't depend on anyone, and not on your parents, not on the men in your family. If you say that um, the problem is that she was uh, that they thought that she couldn't because she's a girl, um, it's it, if if you're independent, then you can choose your own path in life. And I don't think it's an advice. I think it's something we all know. So I. Um, it's it's just really important to keep this uh, in mind all the time. The independence is is really important. Well, in her in her case, it was um, very um, I would say it was very specific because her dad um, had to basically convince his family, which where he did not succeed. So he actually left the family for a while. Okay, um, they didn't want him to get education because he was rich. The idea there was, listen, you already got everything. Why do you need to be educated? Uh-huh. Um, ah. You know, but um, when she, because now he became her role model, right? I mean, she saw it from him, how much the education or the possibility of being educated actually meant to him. Then he left Saudi Arabia, you know, he went to uh, to the USA and, and did basically his studies there. He became her role model. So she basically went also on this, uh, um, on this path of, of education, you know, science and so on. But of course, when you come back, you always get second guests, you know, from, from people who are rather traditional or conservative. So this is basically why why I asked you. Okay, but, you know, I, I actually, I've, I've gotten this question in another way. Like, if, if you get really rich, then will you stop everything you're doing? And, and of course not, because 
again, it's all about all of this know-how, all of this knowledge that you have. If you don't use it, then it's really tragic. Absolutely. But, you know, I, I wouldn't worry about that in your case. You do sound from the very moment on um, super hungry for knowledge anyways. And um, on top of that, I mean, you already developed a, a persevering passion for your field. So I do not think that uh, even if you become super rich, um, this this could be a problem for you. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, we were talking about this lady. So I, I think it's kind of the same case that even though she's really rich and or her dad is really rich. So when they question, why will you take an education? It's not to support himself. It's to do something valuable for the society, I guess. Yeah, perhaps it's it's really this, um, you know, higher idea of, of um, the, the higher good. Um, as you also mentioned in the beginning. Yeah. Also, I, I know uh, it's it's not really easy to um, give motivational uh, speeches or pep talks um, to people. But if you could give our listeners, especially the younger generation, um, an advice of um, how to do something meaningful and, uh, you know, change the course of things for the better, just like you did, what would you advise them with? I would say uh, don't necessarily go for for something you're passionate about. Go something that is meaningful because you you may have many different passions, but what is really meaningful for your life, what really adds value to you and to the society, that's where you should go. So all of this about, I, as you said in the beginning, having a passion, looking within, all of this, it's sometimes not even... The, the, at least for me, that's how I see it. It's not the way uh, to go forward. It's it's what what is needed out there. How can you help other human beings? That's and and how can you can you um, combine the passion and the meaningfulness? Uh, that's that's that would be my advice. Fatima, thank you very much for taking your time, being on my program, talking to me. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. This was. The Voice of Medicine. Make sure you tune in next time and take care.